Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're talking with Lisa Tamati. Lisa is an endurance athlete uh, for the past 25 years and has competed in the world's toughest endurance events, clocking up over 70,000 kilometers, uh, racing everywhere from the Sahara to the Gobi to Death Valley to the Himalayas, Australia, and Europe. Lisa is the author of three best-selling books. Her first two, uh, running Hot and Running to Extremes, Chronicle of Adventures, and her brand new book, Relentless, How Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds, tells the one in a million comeback story of bringing her mother back from the brink of death in a four-year odyssey that has baffled the medical fraternity. Lisa has also produced a number of adventure film documentaries, hosted her own TV show, and is an international speaker and podcast herself at Pushing the Limits. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Fantastic to be here, James. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honour. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how about you give our audience some background on you and, and a bit more about your story because I think there's some amazing things that, that you've been through and obstacles that you've overcome, um, which is really why I got you on the show is to discuss, you know, mindset and, and just kind of finding your inner resources. So tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, huge amount of running is what I did, basically. <laughs> and I had no talent whatsoever to do what I did. I had a very strong mindset. So today's uh, talk, I think, should be probably centered around the mindset piece of the puzzle because it yeah. is all about you know, believing that you can do things even when the odds are stacked against you. So ultramarathoning, that's doing anything that's over the 50 kilometers. But most of these races are 100K, 100 mile, 200, 300 kilometers mm. and beyond. And they're done in all sorts of crazy places. You know, I've done over 2,000 kilometers in the Sahara. I've run over 70,000 kilometers in my uh, training and events in the last 25 years. And um, I've had some wonderful, amazing experiences. I mean, some absolutely horrific failures as well as the successes. You know, in that journey, I've learned one hell of a lot about who I am, what I'm capable of. And I've never let anybody sort of put me in a box, you know, like it teaches you that you, if you really want to do something, even if you don't have the necessary skills right now, you can go and make stuff happen. And I think when you when you really put your mind to something, that's when the magic happens. And when you have uh, resilience and you have a relentless attitude, that's when you can overcome so many obstacles along the way. So I think in, in, in a brief, um, I'm a Kiwi as well, just like you, James, um, born and bred here. It's a great country to grow up in. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. So yeah. So how did how did you get into it then? Like, were you were you born into running? No, or is this... asthmatic from the age of two. Very small lung capacity, very low VO two max, which you know athletes will know means you're probably not really going to be very good at endurance sports. <laughs> but I was a very sporty, outdoorsy kid with a sort of a typical Kiwi kid upbringing in the seventies. I'm showing my age, and I had a, a family that expected a lot. It was a high expectations for my father to achieve and to represent New Zealand in something. So I spent my childhood and much of my adulthood trying to actually achieve that that dream that I had as a little girl, which was to represent New Zealand in something. My dad wanted that, and it took me till I was actually 42 years old to get there. And uh, I failed in gymnastics. I grew up too tall. I tried in surfing. I didn't quite make it there. I spent years doing this running. And um, finally, in 24-hour racing, which is where you run around a 400-meter track for 24 hours, you can't imagine anything more boring on the planet. I did that eight times before I qualified and um, represented 
presented New Zealand at the age of 42. So, you know, I'm all about never giving up, that's for sure. Yeah. So if you didn't have the genetic superiority, which a lot of people yeah. feel like, you know, I was born with it and that's why that's why that person's successful because they had it easy. They were born like this or this and all those other kind of bullshit excuses. What allowed you to, to get through that? Was it just relentless training? Was it relentless mindset? Did you have to change your approach? How did you deal with the low lung capacity and uh, the VO2, whatever you said it was, and et cetera? So I, I'm all about finding ways around obstacles. So when someone tells you no, you know, like when I went to the exercise scientists at the Millennium Institute in Auckland about 10 years ago and I ran through Death Valley, which is the hottest desert on earth, and prior I went there and they did the VO2 max testing and they were like, well, if you're a young athlete coming to us to see whether you're suited to the sport, we'd send you home. <laughs> you're not, you're below average. And I go, well, lucky no. Nobody ever told me that because I got to number nine in the world at one point. So, you know, like I just found ways around things. Okay, so I didn't have speed. If you put me in a local 10K race, I'm in the middle of the pack somewhere. But I found that I had, okay, I didn't have a Ferrari engine, if you like. I had a tractor. I could go and go and go and just keep going. And so I worked to those strengths and worked on those weaknesses um, and still do. And you know, like my whole life, people have just told me, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'd love to share a story of an example of this, and this is the subject of my latest book, Relentless. My mother, four years ago, uh, four and a half years ago now, had a massive aneurysm, which is a, a bleed in the brain at the age of 74, and was there fighting for her life. And she somehow managed to survive that initial, you know, event and great surgeons and so on. But she spent three weeks in and out of a coma and she was losing more and more of her brain as that time went on and she had these spasms, what they call vasospasms. At the end of that time, we'd had a couple of uh, mishaps at the hospital where she'd been misdiagnosed originally. And so this made me go like, okay, I've got to take responsibility. I'm not a brain surgeon, unfortunately, <laughs> but I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to find everything I can to help my mum come back. And when she eventually came out of the coma, she had basically no high function at all. She had no ability to control any of her bodily functions, no no memory, no uh, couple of words she had, and that was about it. And we were told that she would never have any quality of life again, that the brain damage was so extensive that she'd never do anything. And I just went, no, that's not happening. And they said we had to put her in a home. I, I fought for, for months to be able to bring her back to, to our family home and not put her in an institution and really had to fight against the system and really also had to fight against this notion that it was impossible to retrain the brain to do all these things. And I thought, nah, there's somebody out there in this great wide world and with the access to the internet and the greatest scientists and the greatest doctors, I'm going to find a way. And so I spent the next, well, I'm still doing it, four and a half years later. It took me three years to really bring my mother back to full health. She is now got a full driver's license, her full power of attorney back, full independence. It took me 18 months to get her out of a wheelchair, you know, that long to be able to teach her just to roll over in bed, you know. I had to retrain her brain, thousands and thousands of hours of, of retraining everything from how to put a piece of food into your mouth to how to sit straight, you know, let alone how to stand or how to walk, you know. And in this journey, this really tipped me into the world of biohacking and into health and looking outside the box, the standard local box of what was available to me here in this little town that I live in. And I came across hyperbaric oxygen therapy, functional genomics, epigenetics, 
did a keto diet with her. I changed her, her supplementation, nootropics, you name it, I studied it. And I'm not a doctor and I have no medical background, but I didn't let that stop me doing this journey and bringing her back. And now, like my mum is uh, turning 79 next, next month and she is fully back into life again and just loving it, you know. And key to this journey was also that the fact that my mum, once she started to have some self-direction again, was also committed to the process, you know, mm. and that's very important that you have a client, if you like, or a, a, your loved one in this case, willing to put in the hard work. So that combination of an absolutely relentless attitude that I had, that we would go for months without seeing any, any progress whatsoever. And people would be like, why don't you just give up? There's no hope. There's no, there's no show. And I just like, I'm an athlete. I know how to push my body to the absolute limits. I know how to overcome obstacles. And I put that approach into her rehabilitation and the results are nothing short of, well, fabulous, really. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a testament to looking through the obstacle at the outcome and focusing on what you're trying to achieve and, and going after that rather than just constantly, oh, there's a problem here, what do I do with this problem? And I find that with my, you know, the success that I've had with the people that I bring on the show and more intimately with my most successful clients is that they're not looking at the problem and looking for the solution to that problem. They're looking at the outcome of where they want to get to and how am I going to get there? So it's the same. Listening to this, it can sound odd, right? It's, it's, it's still, how do I overcome that obstacle in front of me? But the intention is not the obstacle. It's the step that gets me to the next step that's getting me to where I'm trying to get to. And so it changes how you're thinking about problems. It changes how you view problems, how you're affected by them. Because the key difference between someone who's successful and someone who's not in anything comes down to what they're willing to tolerate. And you are yes. willing to tolerate struggle and pain in one area because you're not willing to tolerate yep. struggle and pain in another. And it's kind of like, like in business, it's running a business is hard and so is being broke. You've got to push yes. your hard. You know what I mean? It's like, what other outcomes do you want? I think that's incredible. Did Was this just a, I know obviously through your childhood and things like that, you were, you were pushed into things which created this relentlessness within you. And I think that we're always a, a product of our experiences and, and, and things like that. But some of us, you know, find resolve in it and, and go after things and some of us just collapse under that pressure what about you do you think has allowed you to use that in a positive constructive way to achieve things versus a, a destructive well i mean i you know it's not like you have this magic determination button that you push in the morning and off you go you know like i've broken many times in my life i've been on the ground i've hit rock bottom i've you know the key difference is i think is that the next morning i get up and i go again and, mm. and I go again and I go again. And that resilience, that ability to be able to be, you know, if you get knocked down to stand back up again the next day, you know, cry, have a moan about it, fall to pieces for a few hours and then get your shit together and get back up and keep going. And this is, I think, absolutely crucial in business and the businesses that I have, it's been we have a couple of different companies. One is an online run coaching system and another one is optimizing people's health through epigenetics um, and genes. And we, we've, we've had so many obstacles, as, as many listening will have, you know, technical obstacles, team obstacles, just absolutely problem after problem after problem. But our eye has, as you said, always been on the price and always been on where we want to get to and not like, well, we've put in so much effort, this isn't working, I'm giving up. Now, 
I do have to qualify that though. There is a time sometimes when you need to quit because I've I've done this in in some because I've always been an entrepreneur in, in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes successful, sometimes not. There have been businesses that I've been involved in in my past that were dead in the water, and I, because I'm so determined, I will just keep going, keep going, keep going, and that. Sometimes you need to know when to quit that thing in order to put your focus on the the right thing, you know. So sometimes you do need to quit, but it's not a quitting of your dream. It's a pivot, really. It's yes, a going pivot. into something. So sometimes I'm not saying, you know, flog a dead horse because sometimes in business, especially in the way that the world is right now, we have to be able to pivot really quickly. Like I'm a speaker that, um, you know, that's one of my major income streams. This year, it's just gone from, you know, six-figure income to zero. Like, okay, right, what am I going to do? Cry about it? Uh, Yeah, I did for a bit. And then I got up and then I was like, well, how else can we replace that income? What other things can I do? What other programs can I deliver? And so on and so forth. And that's an ongoing journey. You know, like, that's not not a fixed because the situation is unprecedented. But the attitude is the same. I don't let that break me, I stand up again and I find another way forward rather than going, oh, woe is me, I'm done for and getting depressed and then falling into a massive big hole and ending up having to go and get a job, which I can't imagine anything worse in my world. (laughs) You know what I mean? So you roll with punches, you get back up every time and you pivot when necessarily and you stay agile on your feet. You know, you, you stay flexible. I like what you said. It's it's not a knowing when to give up. It's a knowing when to pivot because the pressure is not going to get you anywhere. A lot of people, they just have the one way of doing it. And and I see that a lot with, with practices. You know, they're, they're trying to grow and they're struggling and they, they run some Facebook ads and it doesn't work and they spent like a hundred bucks and like, oh, that's it. Facebook doesn't work. And then they're just waiting for referrals and they're just pushing and grinding. And then they start to justify because you can, you can tell with someone who doesn't have a plan and isn't relentless, they will justify what they're doing because they have to, because the discomfort of realizing that what I'm doing is not working and that it's never going to produce what I want and having the kind of strength to say, that's okay. Like, like you said, I've failed multiple times. And so has everyone else who's successful because you don't get to there without failing, but failure, it isn't a loss. If you don't learn any, it's corny as it is, right? If you don't learn anything from it, then it's a failure. And that's, it's so true. And the more people that I speak to that are, you know, ridiculously successful in their different areas, it's the same thing. There is no loss and failure unless you haven't learned and there is no giving up. It's pivoting. I've had a dream of having an online business for a long time. I had a dream of having my practice work uh, before this online business, obviously having my practice work for me instead of against me so I can go on holiday and things like that. Prior to that, I had dreams of just having my own practice and not you know, being broke because I, I didn't grow up with very much. And there's always been these things and it was always pushing towards that. And there's always been you know, places where I've failed and struggled and it's been hard, but I just kept going. Whereas a lot of friends and colleagues and people around me stop when they start to experience a bit much discomfort. But to get anywhere, like for you to run 70,000 kilometers and I can barely run five, like I'm looking at it and I'm thinking you have to, you have to just keep pushing, but to be where you are, it's, it's a combination of having pushed through those things and you can't have one without the other. And I think people don't realize that they think that it's easy at the top and yeah, it's easy in a lot of regards. I have a lot of things and can do a lot of stuff that I never thought was possible and have influence on connecting with amazing people like yourself, but there's a day today where it's where I'm waking up and 
it's practiced. You know what I mean? Like you don't just wake up and go, oh man, I'm amazing. This is easy. You've got different problems. You've got different problems and you've got more of them, but your ability to deal with them is stronger because you've trained yourself to do it. Tony Robbins says that, right? He's like, everyone looks at him and he's he's so positive and driven and everyone thinks maybe he's just born like that. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. It's such a bullshit answer. And he said it too. He's like, I wake up every day and I do priming exercises. I train myself constantly and I've done so for 40 years to be who I am. I think it's it's like a lottery mentality, right? In New Zealand, we've got the lotto for everyone who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Zealand, people buy their tickets. I've never bought a ticket. It's like... No, I don't do that either. And and yeah, because it, it is about the the daily rituals that you set in place. And mm. it's about understanding what's driving you. You know, you know, we mm. will talk about the why, but that why, that that emotional driving factor. So so when I'm doing a race, for example, and I'm, I'm retired now, I'm 52, and I retired a couple of years ago when mum got sick, actually, at 40, 48, for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> again, a necessary pivot. But we, we, we know I'm in the deeps of a race and I'm an absolute exhaustion and my body shutting down and I'm in a place of absolute suffering and pain in the hurt locker. And I want to give up you know the, the voice in your head you've got two voices like on the lion and the snake and the, and the snake's voice that's saying what are you doing and why are you doing this and what are you trying to prove and who do you think you are and why don't you just stop for five minutes that voice is getting louder and louder as you're running longer and longer and into most extreme environments and sometimes in really scary environments and what keeps me going is I will dig into my my, my toolkit of things. I will do things like listen to my body. What is it telling me it's needing? And then other times I'll be out of my body and I'll be in my happy place trying to fantasize about swimming with the whales in Tahiti or something. I don't know. Where, you know, wherever I can take my mind away from the suffering I'm going through right now. Another one of the things that I would do is controlling my breathing, which is really sometimes hard depending on the race, but trying to calm the system down so that I can stop the panic from happening and keep a control on my, you know, my sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic and try to keep those under control. And another one of the key ones from the mental side of it is I ask myself, if one of your loved one's life depended on it, Mm. would you take another step or would you give up right now? And you might be a hundred miles from the finish line. You know, if I if I had this mm. crazy scenario, if, if we crashed in a plane in the jungle and my mum was stuck in the plane and I had to run 200 miles to get her help, would I do it? Would you quit? Hell no, I wouldn't mm. quit. Well, then there is something somewhere in your body that you can pull out to keep moving because it is a psychological thing. And, you know, I have pushed my body sometimes to the point where it's been taken out of my control and my body has shut itself down. And, okay, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be going to that level, especially for a bloody race. And I have nearly killed myself a couple of times because my mindset is so strong that when I set myself a goal like that, I will just keep going. And so I've, I've learned now, and as a coach of athletes, I try to get them to, well, don't go to that point, please. Don't go to the point where your body's going to shut down on you because, you know, it's not worth it. No one's paying you millions of dollars for this. But just using those sorts of psychological tricks to help you keep going. Recently, I had a, a, a tragedy in my life. My wonderful dad, who I just absolutely adored, had a abdominal aortic aneurysm, <laughs> opposite to mum. His was in the stomach and rushed to hospital. They didn't think he'd ever make the hospital. He spent four hours in surgery. Again, they didn't think he'd make that. But I'd had him on a lot of stuff prior because I'm a health 
biohacking freak. I had him on a lot of things prior. And so he pulled through. And when I was in the hospital, they they got him through this, but then he developed sepsis. And I was pushing really hard for intravenous vitamin C. And anyone who's in the biohacking space or in the uh, complementary medicine space might know the power of vitamin C for sepsis. I knew about all the studies and I just came up against an absolute brick wall in the hospital system. Now, I could have just uh, given up, but instead, I, I because I'm an ultra marathon runner and I know how to push through barriers, I was staying by my dad's bedside 18 to 20 hours a day uh, advocating for him preparing a case for the, for the ethics committees, for the, the bureaucrats that I had to convince that I should be allowed to give intravenous vitamin C, and I fought for 12 days. I'm the second person in New Zealand's history ever to get vitamin C in an ICU. I had to, you know, really mobilise every resource that I had to get my dad this help. Unfortunately, it took me 12 days, and by the time I got it, he was at death's door. He had multiple organ failure, and I got it to him too late. Despite that, after the very first intravenous vitamin C, which is a topic for a documentary I'm going to be working on, is that it cut his CRP, his C-reactive protein, and his inflammatory markers, his white blood cell count in half. His kidney function improved, but it was just too little too late because you needed every six hours. And again, I had battles for the second mm. and the third and the fourth and the fifth and, uh, infusion and so on. But I didn't give up at all, you know, until mm. my dad unfortunately passed in, in July but I can I can at least you know okay this is the worst time of my life that I've ever been through but I can look myself in the mirror and know that I did everything that was in my power mm-hmm. to get him the help he needed and for that 15 days I must have slept maybe you know a total of seven eight hours in that time I pushed my body and my mind to the absolute limit to get him the help that he needed and I ultimately failed I failed but that is life and that is the gamble that you have when I went in with you know with with my mum's journey I didn't know the outcome would be such a positive one in that case Mm. you know I just went and did everything I needed to do every single day, and I still do. And with my dad, I did the same thing, and this time we didn't make it. Uh, I was up against a big system, but I did make it with my mum. And so I go into any project. you, You can never guarantee success. What you can guarantee is that you've given it everything, that you've gone all in on this journey and then you have a chance of success it's not guaranteed well, well, well if you weigh it up like what's more likely to guarantee a positive result exactly Doing work or half-assing it and uh, <laughs> i think that, that's what people don't think about is that they they're like oh this is hard and you know well having anything of, of value is going to be hard to get it because if it's not hard then it's not of value it's like why do people pay a lot of money for I'm being arbitrary here, diamonds or whatever, right? Because they're yeah. they're hard to come by and they're expensive to pay for. If they were easy, like picking up stones on the beach, no one would want them. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the nature of, of life is that it's our psychology that gives us our experience and and also gives us what, what we achieve. And knowing how we can use our mind and play with our mind to push our bodies to get to where we want to be is important. I think that your example of using pain as a driver is important. Everyone often, you know, they, they say, I want a million dollars. Are you willing to put in the work to get a million dollars? No. So you don't really want a million dollars because if you did, you just work harder at your job and you'd invest more and you'd figure things out instead of watching Netflix. What you want is what you think it's going to get you. But by understanding this, yes, there's this positive uh, intent that that pulls us towards something. There's also 
the negative, I suppose you could say, on the other side, the pain, which also will push us. And I think that most of us don't leverage that enough because that's powerful. I think it's more powerful than positive desire because you can want, like how many times have you wanted something and you didn't really push as hard as when you felt like you were going to lose something or there's pain yeah. associated with not getting oh, it yeah. because yeah, survival is stronger in our bodies than yeah. desire. That's why people stay in crappy situations because it's, yeah. they can justify that it's good enough um, versus saying, well, if I don't leave this situation, if I don't change the situation, these bad things going to happen. The moment you feel that you'll leave, you'll do stuff about it. It's interesting. It's really interesting. And this is an awesome topic because a lot of the time, like in, we're in business, and as health professionals, we've spent a lot of time learning how to be a great technician, but yep. it was a matter of just going through the motions. And yes, you study for exams and, and things like that, but building a business is a bit different. Now your livelihood's on, on the line and, and your ability to impact people or not is on the line as well. Uh, and I think that leveraging pain, leveraging pleasure, understanding how your mind is is trying to constantly keep you in a place of content survival, like it's, it's good enough is dangerous you're so good at articulating yeah. which i you know the story like the stories i've got the stories you said that's really good uh, way of articulating it like you have to be able to tolerate a certain amount of suffering and pain and everything um i used to box and um on the wall that had you know strength comes from struggle one of the posters on the wall and i always thought that's a perfect sentence because the more pain I am prepared to endure and the more suffering I'm prepared to take on, the more I'm going to be able to overcome in the future. And it teaches me things. Like when I go to the gym and I do some weights, I'm breaking down that muscle. I mean, we all know what a what exercise does and how it actually is a detrimental thing in the first instance, but it causes a reaction. And the reaction from the body is to come and to strengthen that muscle and to make it stronger so that I can be fitter for the next time. And it's the same in every damn thing in life. And we develop as we get older and we've been through more things, a toolkit that we can unpack when we need to do things. So every experience, you know, and even this one with dad, which is, you know, horrific, even here, I'm going to find the silver linings. I'm going to find what it is that I'm meant to be doing from this experience and I'm mm. going to make it positive. You know, I'm on a mission now to help other doctors and scientists and add my voice to this whole vitamin C debate because I want it a nice use. I want us to get access to it and that's the discussion for another day. But it's, mm. this will be his legacy. And people have keep saying to me right now because I'm in the middle of this massive battle, if you like, you can't take on the big players. You can't take on the legal institutions, the hospitals, the pharmaceutical companies, all of this great people like Linus Pauling, you know, Nobel Prize winning scientists and, and so on for decades have tried. How, who do you think you are to come in and make a difference? I don't care. I am going to make a difference. And if we all stand up and be counted for what we believe in, whether you believe in whatever you are passionate about, then we will make change. And it may take another 20 years, but if we all stay silent on these things, then, you know, no, no change is going to happen, you know. And, and then that's, I don't want to get political or, you know, into, into the debate, but what I'm trying to say is everybody right now is telling me, no, just let it go and just let it be. And I'm like, no, this is going to be my father's legacy. I lost the battle for him. I'm going to make it better for other people. And that's what I believe and that's what I'm going after. And I don't care who I have to take on for that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's being sometimes being brave. It's sometimes, 
you know, that little voice that we all have inside our heads that's telling you, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? That imposter syndrome that we've all heard of, you know, and we all fight with daily. It's not like I don't have it. It's just that the, the drive is stronger. And the passion is stronger, and the need. You've is you've got purpose and conviction, and that allows you to see and look for opportunities around obstacles, rather than just seeing it as a wall and thinking, "Oh, that's it, I can't get there." And there's so many examples of this. But what I think everyone listening can take away from this is that when you have a strong enough belief in what you want to achieve, you will find a solution to it. You just have to keep digging, uh, and it's a matter of you know you're you're digging and you're pushing and you're understanding times where you need to pivot, like. If you're wanting to build your business and you're struggling because there's restrictions around you, be observant of those and look for opportunities to pivot. Don't keep going down a hole that's ending up nowhere. But at the same time, there's this balancing act between am I too far down in a hole that's going nowhere or am I just about to reach gold? And I think that um, generally speaking, I think that if you consider that you're, you're not down a hole, but you're keeping a high level of awareness of, you know, where is the opportunity to pivot? I think that's where you where you'll find the gold. Because for me, you know, I was learning social media and I was learning sales and I was learning marketing. I was learning all these things back at chiropractic college because I knew that I wanted to take it somewhere. And I would be up all night doing these things and I was in this hole. But through that, I've now seen other pathways. So I can turn around and look and see where I've been and go, oh, actually, and I've now taken all that knowledge and used it. Had I continued down that path, yes, I wouldn't have necessarily ended up anywhere. But by doing that, it's created more awareness of everything else. And I think that's what, what people miss is that they, they don't look at the learnings that come from all that stuff. I'm just conscious of time for you. So where can our audience connect with you online? For starters, I've got a podcast called Pushing the Limits and I'll have to get you on there, James. That would be uh, fabulous if people want to subscribe to that. Otherwise, my website, lisatamati.com, Tamati is spelled T-A-M-A-T-I.com. Um, yeah, all my courses and my mindset stuff and my books, of course, are on there. I'd love people to especially read my, my latest book, Relentless, mm-hmm. because I think if you are in the health world, this story will be an eye-opener and also uh, an inspiring story, an empowering story mm-hmm. of thinking outside the box and yeah. changing the way you approach things. So, yeah, lisatamati.com. Otherwise, also, I'm everywhere on Facebook, Lisa Tamati, and on Instagram, I'm very active as well. So please, you know, hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. And uh, you take care. Thanks so much, James. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue impact more people and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. 
And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a tenth of the time and a tenth of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business. And I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.